BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron Rogers. Happy Friday, Freckled Foodie family. Today's episode is a much requested one. We are talking all things financials. This isn't necessarily my financials. I mean, I touch on some of my stuff, but more hopefully helping you all get more comfortable with your financials and educate and take some next steps. When I posted a story and asked you guys how you felt about your relationship with finances, a lot of people just felt overwhelmed, anxious, and not informed. So I brought on a friend of mine, Brittany Castro, who was the founder and CEO of Financially Wise. She is a certified financial planner. She's actually the in-house CFP for Mint and Turbo. She's a financial expert, um, was in the investment news 40 under 40. She's got her shit together and she knows what is happening. So today's episode talks a lot about the gen- like general knowledge and information to begin handling your finances, whether it's what type of investment account to invest in, um, you know, a specific structure on budgeting, a different type of investing, We really wanted to just provide the generic guidelines for you all. Obviously, it's really hard to give blanket statements because everything is so individualized and we don't know everyone's financial situation that's listening, but we hope this helps. And honestly, I just hope it helps more of us gain confidence in our relationship with our finances. Um, Obviously, this is something I knew you guys wanted to talk about, and I was very keen on making sure someone who was certified came on to be the guest on this topic. So I'm very grateful to have Brittany for joining us. I also do want to shout out her class that she offers. It'll be linked in the show notes. Um, But if you guys are interested in taking her money class, you can use the promo code FW100 for $100 off. All of that will be in the show notes along with her information. So without further ado, here is Brittany. Brittany, thank you so much for joining us. I am very excited to have this conversation because it is one that has been very highly requested from the Freckled Foodie family. So thank you for being our new financial guru. Oh my God, anytime. I I would love to be your recurring guru. (laughs) 
Um, so just for context for everyone listening, Brittany and I actually worked together on a project, I guess it was like a year and a half ago now, right? Yeah. When was that? Well, well, obviously 2019. Yeah, Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so we met through a project we were working on together, hit it off, have followed each other since. And I knew the second that people were asking me financial questions, um, I wanted a registered or licensed, I guess is the correct term, um, CFP, Certified Financial Planner, to come on to the show. And Brittany was, of course, my number one thought process. I was like, oh, she'd be perfect at this. So I'm very excited. We're going to dive into you, your company, how you've gotten here. And then I have a lot of questions from the Freckled Foodie community. Amazing. And by the way, congratulations on everything. Like the amount you've done in the last whatever few years since I saw you and met you on that project. It's really cool. I'm very like excited to witness your journey. You're so sweet. Thank you very much. It has been very fun and an incredible ride, to say the least. Um, So to kick things off, how would you define success? Ooh, good question. Um, For me, success means like feeling happy (laughs) in life. Mm -hmm. Um, So in my life, that means like I'm having deep, meaningful relationships with friends, family, others, um, communication is like really, uh, solid. Um, I'm healthy, um, have, you know, my finances in order things, uh, I'm working on that I'm excited about. Um, but really a lot of success for me is just feeling gratitude for what is happening. And, um, like appreciating everything, like even if it's quote unquote bad, because I I can learn. And those are usually the times in life where you grow the most <laughs> and realize a lot more about life and yourself. So uh, yeah, success for me has a very holistic meaning. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's so incredibly deep in the sense of so many things fall into success. Um and especially when you talk about happiness, like there are so many different pieces of that pie that you can put time and effort into to make sure that you are feeling happy every day and that you're making an – or if you're not, you're making an effort to feel happy and grow from these experiences. Um, so obviously I – gave it up that you are a CFP and you have certifications in the financial financial world. Can you tell us a little bit first on just like how you got into being interested in finances and was it always something you cared about and that journey to get you where you are today? Yeah. So I don't know if I was always interested in finances, but I was the kid who like did a lot of things. You know, I was like a straight A student, did the dance team, was on ASB. Um, and and when I was younger, I really did have the idea to be a businesswoman. Like I, I wanted a business. I just never even imagined it would be finance. Um And then in school, college, I studied business economics. And I guess that's when I kind of got exposed to like, oh, you know, this world of finance and economics and math was always relatively easy for me. So honestly, I just got a job offer as a financial advisor right out of college. And that was in 2006. And I took it. And I think because I just 
um, had this idea of like, I guess at that time I was more aware of success in the terms of like money and having a great profession. Um, so I did really well at that company, but I didn't like vibe well with the like corporate model. And you Mm -hmm. would appreciate this. Like I was sick all the time, like just the way that like they structured our days, we had to work 12 hour days. Um, So like I followed the model to be successful, but like, honestly, I wasn't that happy and I was always stressed and sick. So there was this point where then I realized, okay, if I'm going to stay in this financial world, which, you know, we know is like very masculine, male dominated, I needed to find a way that would would work for me. Um, So then I just realized I do want to stay in the world, but I want to be more of that business owner that I envision for myself when I was younger and have more freedom to like launch my ideas or launch my services in the way that I wanted to do it. Not like the way the company was telling me to do it. So I kind of just like took those leaps um, and left the company, went to an independent company, rebuilt my practice, started like that was in 2010, got my CFP designation. I was 26 years old, then started like marketing myself as like the go-to expert for women because you know just being a woman in finance it was like oh there's this huge opportunity um totally and that was like when social media was like (laughs) becoming more and more um popular and obvious to use as a marketing strategy and um I just went for it so I just started to do the things not really knowing how it all work out but I did have a vision that I wanted to create this platform or business where I could just be more of the speaker and educator um beyond just working with clients one on one but have online courses and speak at events and now you know a lot of it's doing online social media video content um so here I am, you know, but I do think like I'm very creative and um while I have the an- analytical brain I also bring a lot of creativity to my work and my company and that's why I'm able to I think why I've been able to sustain this whole time because if if like I couldn't just be like a financial analyst like that wouldn't work for me and my personality and just how I am. So I think I took this world of finance and made it my own through like the marketing and creative ways I, I talk about it. And it's actually very helpful because money is is like an art, right? You know, there's a science to money, but there's also an art. So um, yeah, that's kind of a, my how I landed here. You're how I built this pitch. Well, I think it's really (laughs) interesting because you know, obviously, from my journey, and like I resonate with a ton of that where I landed this incredible job out of college. It was everything that I thought success equaled. I was so proud of it. And then a few years down the road, yes, financially, I'm killing it. But mentally, I'm not doing well. Physically, I don't feel well. Um, I'm not really enjoying myself. And there was a real realization of, is this success? Sure, on paper, but to me, no. And taking that leap of faith and starting your own thing. And I think it's really interesting what you said. Well, twofold. A, the female aspect of all of this is huge to not take advantage of, but to harp on and to run yeah. with because – Coming from a trading floor, obviously females were very, very much the minority. And even just, 
I do think there's sadly this stigma from generations above us that females, quote unquote, don't know how to handle their finances or they're not involved in the tough conversations and the husband's dealing with everything. And I think our generations are definitely breaking that mold, not to say that every household lived like that. I know mine did not. Um, But for the generations above us, especially if you look at our grandparents, like that was very real. And I think a lot of women are trying to learn more because unfortunately, this entire industry has been catered to men. And we are at a disadvantage to start with. And we just want to educate ourselves more to like be on an equal playing field. And the creativity I think you bring to this space is so helpful because no offense, finances can be really boring, but also just like overwhelming and daunting and anxiety inducing. And so when it's created in a tolerable, in a digestible manner, it's so helpful for the consumer. Absolutely. And it's no offense at all. I used to, I still say like finance is so boring, right? Like I used to say that all the time, like, oh my God, it's so boring if if I have to read one more thing about blah, 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 you know? So I think the reality is you're a hundred percent like true, like, you know, educating people, especially now in this world, it's like, people need to consume information in an engaging educational way. Um, and it not, we don't need to carry that stigma of like money is boring or overwhelming. And it's like kind of breaking those concepts. And I think with like the money, women and money part, I mean, the reality was women couldn't manage the money. So, right. you know, there is that opportunity in the marketplace to just guide women. The strategy is not necessarily different. It's just how you communicate it um, that tends to be different. And I think now more than ever, like I just read earlier today, I think 30% of financial advisors are women. And if you look at the CFP um, designation specifically, I think it's around 20% of CFPs are women. So even like I even come at it too, like men are great. There's wonderful men financial professionals out there, but even their style, if they really want to help the women's community, which women are uh, more and more the stewards of wealth in America, just because they live longer, uh, divorced, staying single, then they have to learn how to address communication styles where women can actually understand, relate, and not feel talked down to or stupid. Because I still hear those stories, like people feeling stupid to ask the question. And I just think like, oh, no, like, no, we all, you know, we all have to learn. And now I think we're entering this whole new era with like cryptocurrency and who knows what where that will lead us and blockchain. But we're all kind of like, okay, what, how do we manage our money moving forward? Like what are the tools and strategies we need and man and woman, you know, need to feel confident to go out and seek the right information to get what they need to, to manage their financial lives. Mm-hmm. And I said this a lot when I was at work, um, both to the interns I was managing and like when I was at a younger role, having conversations with more senior people, like you don't know what you don't know. So 
you're not always going to know the questions to ask because you don't even know what the topic is encompassing. And I think just being in a space where you're not afraid to ask the questions to get to the second, third, fourth, fifth question that you don't even know about yet, that is so important. And that's why I really love the space that you've created because people should feel empowered and comfortable to ask these questions. So I've gotten so many, you know, finances are a big interest point in the freckled foodie community. Mm-hmm. Um, a small part of it, I think, is people, you know, obviously we always wonder like when you watch someone on social media, how do they afford these things? How do they do these things? So part of it is nosy. The other part does just really want to learn, like, how do you do this? How do you afford to do this? How do you save? And I feel that the more transparent we are as a community, the more helpful it is to everyone, especially if you're at a place where you have some form of education on the topic. However, I wanted to bring someone on certified to really get into the nitty gritty. So I did ask a question just in general. I was like, guys, what would be the adjectives that you would use to describe your relationship with finances? And the number one response was like overwhelmed and confused. So I don't think people know where to really start if we're being honest. Um, So I guess if we want to start from like the very beginning and if you want to talk as if, um, you know, not not that you're talking down to anyone, but really as if the listeners like are new, new, new learners to this, can you explain the different, this was a big submitted question, like retirement plans and options for someone who's in their 20s? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, and by the way, you know, like you said, you don't know what you don't know. The world of finance, I've been in it 15 years and I still am learning, you know? So that's like such a helpful thing to like share because, I'm a CFP. I talk about this all day. <laughs> like I take courses and I'm still learning things about money. And that's the beauty of it. It's like when you really just engage from um, a beginner's mind, you see there's always something to learn or improve on and refine and uh, and to remember you're not alone and, and that everybody is kind of doing that, whether they tell you or not. Um, so in, with this question specifically, um, to get started with retirement, uh, let's just define that first and foremost. So if you're employed, chances are you have a 401k plan that is offered to you. A 401k plan is the most common retirement plan that employers offer their employees. Um, you decide how much of your paycheck you want to contribute into that 401k Um set it up so it's automatically going in. If it's a traditional 401k, what that means is anything you contribute into that account, let's say in 2021, you get to deduct on your tax return. Because this is a retirement account, the IRS says, great, Cameron, you're saving for retirement. We're going to allow whatever investments you have within that 401k to grow tax deferred. So you don't pay any taxes on it. When you take the money out, with a 401k plan, you have to be 59 and a half years old. And at that point in time, you pay ordinary income taxes on whatever amount you withdraw from the 401k. So the best way to think about a 401k plan is no taxes today, no taxes as it grows, but some down some point down the road after 59 and a half, when you start taking that for your income need to support your retirement, you're going to owe taxes. Um, 
So if you have a 401k offered to you, I would say that's the best place to start. And you can set it up, elect how much you want to put into that. I would recommend that if you're getting an employer match, let's say your employer will match 100% up to 6% of your contributions. Basically, what that means is if you put 6% into your 401k plan, your employer will also put 6%. Um, And that's their money. So it's basically free money for you. Someone else is contributing to your retirement plan along with you. So I always encourage people at least do the amount to get the full match. Um, If you're self-employed or maybe you just don't have the 401k, then that's where you would look at some sort of IRA, individual retirement account. So there's the traditional IRA or there's also one called a Roth IRA. Basically, these are for individuals who don't have 401k, and the amount you can contribute into those accounts is less than the 401k. Uh, And you would just go to any brokerage firm like E-Trade, TD Ameritrade, Schwab, Fidelity Online, open one up, um, decide how much you want to add into the account, invest the money once it's in the account, and then it's tax the same. So traditional IRA is tax the same where no taxes today, gross tax deferred at some point after 59 and a half, it's fully taxable to you. So those I would say are the two standard places to start. Um, and if all of that just seems so overwhelming <laughs> to you, um, you know, just like you can either read more about it online. You know, I, I create a lot of videos on my social media about these sorts of things, or even hiring a financial planner for like an hour, which they do offer those types of services hourly or like one-off project services could really help you expedite this whole process. You know, I always encourage people hire a professional, even if it's just for an hour or two to get this all set up, really, you know, make sure you open it correctly because I think that's the overwhelming part. It's like, we can do all this on our own, which is great. And we saw that last year in 2020, you know, I think there was like 10 million new brokerage accounts opened up, which is just another name for an investment account. So everybody is investing. Technologies make it super easy. Just download an app, start investing. But the point is a lot of people still don't really know what they're doing and how that fits into their overall financial plan and strategy. So hiring somebody to help confirm everything is set up correctly, your beneficiaries, your investments are correct, really can save you a lot of headache and hopefully, you know, make sure everything's accurate and save, probably save a lot of mistakes too. Absolutely. And one question, just going back to 401k, one thing I do want to just also mention is, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the option of a Roth 401k where, because I know that that's what I had set up. Um, Do you want to talk about that? So it's yeah, you, not so, me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So then there's, so I just talked about the traditional 401k and traditional IRA. Then there's something called a Roth 401k and Roth IRA. The best way to explain that is just com- tax completely opposite of the traditional 401k. So when you add money into, let's say the Roth 401k, you do not get to deduct the contribution. So let's say you put $10,000 in in 2021. You don't get to go to your CPA or accountant and deduct that on your tax return for 2021. So technically, it's like called after-tax dollars. The money is still retirement, meaning the IRS is like, yeah, you're saving for retirement. We're going to give you tax-deferred growth. So you don't pay any taxes on the growth. And then when you take the money out, you have to be 59 and a half. And at that point in time, it's fully tax-free. 
So this is where like tax strategies come in because everybody is going to be different. And people always want to know, do I save into a traditional 401k or Roth 401k, traditional IRA, Roth or Roth IRA? Well, it really depends. It depends on your tax return situation, both now, um, what you're going to kind of expecting down the road. Um, When the Roth uh, 401k and Roth IRA came out, it was like, Everyone was telling, you know, especially younger people, put all your money in Roth. Then there started to be like counter arguments around, well, actually, it's better to get the tax deduction today because we know what the taxes are and we have no idea what the taxes will be when you're, let's say, 60 and trying to, you know, start taking an income stream from these accounts. So it's really hard to know for sure. Um, But that's why working and and looking at the big picture is always helpful when you have to make these decisions because it's never just like black and white. There's one way for everybody. It's like, well, are you single? Are you married? Do you need the tax deductions today? Can you forego the tax deduction and then therefore put it in the Roth 401k or Roth IRA? Um knowing that now you're going to have tax-free income in the future. I mean, it really is so dependent upon your specific situation, but it is something good to just look at and analyze. And hopefully you have a good, you know, tax person or or financial planner who can kind of walk through those um, decisions with you. And I think it's, you know, it's the bio-individuality aspect where everyone is different. And I can share for me personally, I was in a place where, I had the savings to be able to max out my retirement plan when I was at JP Morgan. And for me, my thought process was, well, I know what my tax bracket is now. I'm hopeful that by the time I'm 60, I would be in a higher tax bracket. And if I can afford to pay the taxes on it now, I prefer to do that. So I had most of my money in a Roth 401k Obviously now things are, I mean, it's still there, but things are different in what I'm investing as I am uh, personally employed or whatever the correct term for that is. Um, the other question- Self-employed, self-employed. Thank you yeah, so yeah. much. Pregnancy brain is so real. <laughs> um, the other day I referred to uh, Valentine's Day as Thanksgiving. Oh, you're so cute. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we came on Thanksgiving. He's like, no, no, we didn't. Um, Okay, another main question was after, say, someone's taking advantage of their 401k through their company, after that point, what do you have like a formula or a suggestion? Again, this is so individual and there is no one size fits all, but figuring out how much should I be saving in addition to that retirement plan for like a rainy day, like something that you can access before you're 59 and a half, because that is very important. Absolutely. Yeah. So the kind of like the basic formula in financial planning is um, you want three to six months of your like core expenses in savings or a rainy day fund, just somewhere liquid where you can access the money. So if something happened, you lost your job or you had major medical bills, you have that money like kind of just sitting in like cash, whether it's savings or some sort of like, you know, money market account that you can access and you're not tapping into these long-term investment accounts. Um, So that's pretty standard. And then another basic rule of thumb is the 50-20-30 budget breakdown. Now, (laughs) let me just say, 
when you live in a major city, this 50, 20, 30 is like not really as possible as maybe other areas. Near impossible. Yeah. <laughs> However, it's still good to look at your net income, which is after tax dollars every month. Like, let's just say it's $10,000. Um, well, 5000 is what you would use for fixed bills. So that would include a mortgage or rent, utilities, car payment, health insurance. I mean, like the things you need to pay. 20% right, even is like what, cable, that kind of stuff. Like yeah. I lump it. Maybe yeah. not, but I lump in like my monthly, like this is what it costs me to live in the apartment I am living in. Yeah. Like you would look at that and say like, these are the things I have to pay for, right? Um, 20% then is, so in this case, 2000 is what you're aiming to save for the various financial goals. Now, some of that might go into your 401k, which is like, um, then technically the net income is different. It's kind of tricky to explain, but- right. The 401k is like taken off the top. So when you when we look at your net income, that was already assuming you're saving into your 401k. So we just say 20% on average total is the goal to save for the various goals that you have. So then you would look and say, okay, maybe I'm putting 10% in my 401k. So technically I should save another 10% of my income somewhere. Well, what are my goals? Do I need to build my emergency fund up? Do I need to like put extra towards debt to pay that off? Do I want to put some money into a home down payment fund or Am I just now going to like add more money to in my investment account for the long term? So everybody is different. And you kind of look and say, what is realistic for you? What can you start with? And just start with something. Even if you can't do a full 20%, like just start 1% or 2 or 3 You know, anything that's automatic going into some sort of account for your financial goals, whether it's an investment account, a savings account, an extra debt payment, just automate it. And then that remaining 30% is what we say you can spend on whatever variable or fun items. You know, everybody's different, right? Some people enjoy, I, I mean, a lot of our <laughs> variable spending went away in the pandemic. But, you know, some people enjoy going out to eat and are more foodies and that's their entertainment or other people um actually have like different hobbies they pay for. So whatever it is, just kind of use that money in alignment with the things that bring you joy and like you actually care about. So it's a good way to like just start. But I will tell you, like I said earlier, New York, San Francisco, LA, it's more like 60, 70% of people's income is on fixed expenses. So it's not to say you can't live in those big cities, but it's just like, when I look at this number, I think it, I like to look at money as like, okay, where am I? What am I trying to achieve? And where are the opportunities, right? Like there's only so much you could cut back on expenses before you can't cut back anymore. Mm -hmm. I always like to say, okay, I want another $5,000 per year to spend on blah, 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 or save. How do I make another $5,000? You know, I always like to look at income because that's unlimited. Um, but these are good starting points, the three to six months of emergency fund, 50, 20, 30 for budget breakdown that can help you just kind of analyze what should you be saving and where based on your goals. And I also just want for anyone who's listening, who's like very new to this. And if any of that didn't make sense, one thing I 
just want to point out that I thought of that could be a word that people are like, well, what does she mean? When you say um, three to six months in like cash liquid assets, that's not invested in the stock market. That's sitting in a checking or savings account and that's invested in products, honestly, like I used to trade, like a money market fund um, where it's easy to, it's, it's very, 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 I guess, I don't know what the term is, but like you're confident that that money will be there when you need it, where with the stock market, that's not always the case. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad you clarified that. And everybody has a different risk appetite with that too. So (laughs) it's interesting because right now there's this whole um, conversation around companies putting a portion of their cash reserves in Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. And so then I've had all these conversations with people in the crypto world who are like, why put your money in savings that's earning nothing when you could put it in Bitcoin and it's going to grow? And yeah, I do understand what they're saying, but cryptocurrency is still so volatile that, like you said, the whole point of having some cash, like whether it's in checking savings or money market, is that you can get to it and it's not going to be down. There's no like right. taxes or penalty for getting the money. There's no ch- like um, like, you know, negative return that it'll, you know, be like, if you happen to need it in March. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, you're not going to get a lot of return. That's not what we're trying to do with that money. It's, we're not trying to grow it. We're just trying to like have it for emergencies. And I totally agree. And another question, honestly, on this was like, for instance, a savings account, Um, There are different types of savings accounts. And right now, I think a lot of younger people are being told to invest, honestly, per social media, in like a high-yield savings account. Can you walk us through, like, I could, but I think it's better to come from you, Um, just like what a high-yield savings account entails for someone? Absolutely. So there's these things called high-yield savings. So normal – normal structure of people's day-to-day money is they have like a checking account that their money comes into, they pay all the bills. Then they have a savings account that they might be connected to the checking. But like in reality, that savings account is not earning a whole lot of interest. Then there's this thing called high yield savings, which usually they're found on on like online banks, like Ally, A-L-L-Y offers one, American Express has one, um, Capital One 360, Um, you know, you can just go on like search engines and find high yield Mm -hmm. savings accounts. Nerd wallet is a good search engine, um, to, to look up like credit cards or high yield savings. So basically the high yield savings kind of replaces CDs. Like back in the day, people used to put their money in a CD. You would lock it up for six months or a year. And by doing that, the bank would give you higher interest rate than your normal checking or savings account would. Well, things are like always changing with the banking economy. So now we don't necessarily need the CDs. There's something called a high yield savings that are offering. I mean, right now the yields are low because it just fluctuates with the federal interest rates, but let's say 1%, maybe 2% on your savings. So it's not like a whole lot of money, but at least it's a little better than your normal checking or savings account. And the Kind of the nice part about high yield savings is out of sight, out of mind. It's not like in your checking account where you see it all the time. And then also it's earning a little bit more interest. So it's that rainy day fund that's over there. If you need it, you can transfer it right to your checking account, get to the money quickly. And it's earning a little bit more interest. And those interest rates, again, will fluctuate with where we're at in the economy. 
Um, so yeah, nerd wallet would be a good one if you're interested in getting some sort of high yield savings account. And then now that we've dealt with, okay, you have your checking account where your money comes into, you're paying your bills. You have your savings account that you're hopefully putting some money into for your rainy day, quote unquote, fund. If you are so fortunate and privileged to have money after that, that is where then we would go with the investment route. And I think this is where a lot of young people, specifically females, feel confused on where to start. So, uh, and, you know, now TikTok, the whole Robin Hood, Reddit, like I think this just really confused <laughs> people because I think some people took it as like, oh, well, now I understand the markets. This is what happens. Um, but that entire situation was not market-focused. Real, Like it no. wasn't market-driven no. whatsoever. Um, so can you give any advice for anyone looking to invest how they should begin that process? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think with last year and specifically the Robinhood GM, GME thing, it brings this conversation to the forefront of like people need to invest. There's, you know, the wealth gap and financial education needs to be taught, um, which I think is all good things. But like you just said, a lot of people were kind of like think they're they understand, but they need a little bit more framework. So if you're ready to invest, let's say you want to invest outside of the retirement accounts that we talked about, like a 401k or IRA. Because by the way, those are investment accounts. They're just a retirement investment account. And I think a lot of people actually get that confused. Like they say, oh, I don't have an investment account. I'm like, no, you have a 401k. That's an investment account. <laughs> but let's say you you want and have the ability, you're putting money there, your emergency fund is good, and you want to invest more money, right? And you, this is where you would do a brokerage account. So a brokerage account is just another name for an investment account that's not retirement labeled, like 401k or IRA. A brokerage account, let's just talk about how that's taxed. First and foremost, you don't get any tax deduction. Let's say you open a brokerage account, put $10,000 in. Well, you don't deduct the $10,000. It doesn't grow tax deferred because the brokerage account is not labeled for retirement. So every year, if you're getting growth in those whatever investments you're choosing within that account, you get a 1099 and you take that to your CPA or tax person and you pay taxes. Then when you sell the money, like let's say you sell out of those investments, there's no like 59 and a half lockup period. So technically you can access the money whenever, but you would have to sell out of the positions. That's when you have to worry about or think about capital gains, meaning you gained, um, let's say you put 10,000 in, it grew to 20,000 and now you sold and took the 20,000 out. Well, there was $10,000 of gains. So you would owe capital gains taxes. Uh, in the sh short term, if it's held within one year, 12 months, the short-term capital gains is taxed at your ordinary income tax bracket. So like, you know, when you're filing your tax returns, they say, oh, we have to claim that $10,000 as basically income for the year. That's very high. You know, federal and state could be like 40% for many. Um, if you hold the investment longer than 12 months, that's considered a long-term capital gain. And then long-term capital gains, there's a structure of um, the tax rate based on what your federal tax uh, rate is. So the highest is 
So then there's something called a loss. Let's say you put in $10,000, but then it went down to 5,000 and you needed the money. Well, technically now you have a $5,000 capital loss, which can be um, claimed on your tax return as well. So that's one thing that I think most people aren't aware of with these investment accounts. And they're like all of a sudden trading, buying in, selling out, um, kind of following the hype and the buzz, which I think there's a good part of that, like a learning, like people are going to learn with real money. And when it's real money, you learn quickly. But there's this like, I think lack of knowledge or even around taxes, um, because a lot of Mm -hmm. professional investors when they're buying and selling, they're always looking for tax loss harvesting, which is just a fancy word to say they're trying to minimize taxes at all costs. So if they're like selling out of an investment that had a gain, then they're also going to sell out of an investment that had a loss. So then it washes out that gain and now they have no tax liability. So they're doing all this like tax strategy. So that's one thing with the brokerage account. So if you want to open up a brokerage account, just be aware of like taxes. Then you could go to platforms like TD Ameritrade. I I have no connection to any of these companies, by the way. So I don't care where people go. Vanguard, (laughs) Fidelity, Schwab. These are like kind of like the classic ones, E-Trade. Then we had like the Robin Hoods of the world, right? Right. Which I never recommended Robin Hood to anybody. Um, I just thought, I know a lot of people who got Robin Hood and think it was good because they were able to set up investments and just start investing. But I always just thought, well, if you're going to invest, why don't you just get like a TD Ameritrade and like set up your strategy in a like way more clear way. But whatever, if you have Robin Hood, fine. Um, I do think just Then you open up the account. Yeah. I just think the Robin Hood is very easy for people to get swept up in and potentially get in trouble, which I know is not the mission of a company like that. Like their goal is to make everything more accessible supposedly and all of that. But like you look at what happened when, you know, we're not going to dive into the whole situation. But like when you look at what happened, why can't – with GameStop, like – a lot of people got screwed over and a lot of people didn't know, like they just followed these TikTok Reddit trends and yeah, they quote, they did really cause financial trouble for large institutions, which is a different discussion, but then they're not nearly as well versed when you're using an app like Robinhood and it's everyday normal people like us, not in day traders or educated financial investors. And I do think there's just more of this gray space to get potentially into trouble with apps like that. I think so too, you know, and it's a hard thing because like there was a lot of good things that came out of like technology, right? It kind of offers ability for more people to invest. But I think with like a Robin Hood, the way they gamified it made it seem, I don't know fully if like, and this is every investor, it's up to you as an individual person to go out and seek whatever education you need. But when you gamify something like trading and investing, it gets tricky, right? (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. most people don't fully understand the game of money. And then you give them this app where it's really quick, you know, easy to do things and the confetti. (laughs) I mean, it's just like, then it becomes a game and you forget it's real money. So anyway, it's a whole separate conversation. But 
let's say you open up the the brokerage account at one of these institutions, you add money, and then you choose what investments you want. So the you can do individual stocks. Um, you don't have to. There's things called ETFs, which are exchange-traded funds, um, which is kind of like a uh, mutual fund. And a mutual fund is just a basket of stocks, so you get more diversification. But the one thing about an ETF is they're more cost-efficient, so low low cost ETFs where you could get broad diversification. Um, and if you don't know all this, don't like, don't worry. I think the best thing is to open up an account, add money, get something basic that's broadly diversified. And then if you want to add, like we always tell people 90% of your money should be broadly diversified. And if you want to have 10% of your money where you're investing in like individual stocks or like things that you think might like really just go through the roof, go for it, have fun. But you have to think of that, like, in this case, 10% money, kind of like gambling, like it could go to zero as well. So I think we just can't forget long term investment principles that have held up time and time again, even in the Great Depression, Great Recession, you know, we can't just throw it all out the door. Um, just because things are trendy in the stock market right now, or, you know, with social media, it's like, okay, if you want to have some exposure to these certain stocks that you believe might really kill it in the long run, great. But just, I think the conversation is really about knowing yourself, understand your risk appetite, because everybody is so different. One person might be willing to put 100% of their money and just go all in where another person can't and does not want to do that because of other reasons, right? Um, so understanding your risk appetite is actually one of the most critical pieces of investing because if you can like create your own investment philosophy that says, here's here's the amount of risk I'm willing to take, um, you know, I prefer to be able to sleep at night. I don't want to like have to track stocks every day, every hour. That's just not my style. You know, there's a lot of ways to make money is basically what I'm trying to say. So understand your style and create an investment approach and strategy that works for you. Um, and I think with women, you know, like a lot of moms or women, they were like, oh my God, do I need to be watching the stock market every day? Do I need to be a day trader? You know, And it's like, no, there's actually a lot of very wealthy people who have never day traded in their life because day trading is not technically investing. Day trading is like you're it's buying gambling. and selling. Yeah. You're buying and selling throughout the day and you have to be like glued to your desk, watching all these charts. And that's not like everybody's cup of tea, you know? Um, versus like investing, you invest money in companies that you want to hold for the long term. And even if there's short term volatility, because of who knows what, you know, maybe it has nothing to do with the company financials, maybe just the irrational part of the stock market, you're not going to panic and sell because for, you know, for the long term, this is a good company that you still want in your portfolio. So I think that's why it's so important to know yourself, know your risk appetite. And then when you have this brokerage accounting or investing, also understand the tax implications of it. Right. It's so, again, individualized. And, you know, I can share personally, like majority of our money that is in an investment account is invested in ETFs. And then, like you said, a small amount we, quote unquote, kind of gamble with where it's like, 
what are some companies that I am loving every day? And I do think that's a way to look at it, obviously, then looking into the financials. But like, what are you using every day? What do you think is going to continue to grow? Like, I kick myself every day. My parents have had a Peloton for five years. I knew Pelotons were awesome. Why did I never buy Peloton stock? Um, you know, what, what do you see becoming a staple in everyone's life that might be a staple in yours? And then I also think, when it comes to the long-term investment, watching the market every day, day trading, this is something that used to drive me crazy when I would work in sales and trading is my mom would call me and be like, what's happening to the market? Like, blah, 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 blah. And she is very educated in finance. She was an investment banker. Um, but, but you know, a lot of my parents' money is invested. And she would call me and ask all these questions. I'm like, mom, you're not a day trader. Like you're not taking out your investments today. We all want the market to be up every day, but that's not a reality. And like obsessing over the intraday movements when you have long-term investments, in my opinion, is not the best source of your energy. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I love what you said too about like investing in products and things you use. Um, and actually I think women make really good investors. Actually women investors... Uh, outperform men investors by 1% <laughs> historically. Oh, yeah. But I, yeah. I mean, I think it's just interesting because there's an intuition. It's like, oh, I, I use this product or service every day. I don't fully understand like the company logistics, but I understand like people want like Peloton. People are going to exercise. Everybody's buying it. There's like a long-term brand and company behind it. I believe in it, you know? Um so I think that's really key. And yeah, like you said, you don't need to look at the markets every day if that's not your style. Um, and it just causes so much unnecessary stress. I think like even with the recent um, Reddit, Wall Street bets, I mean, it was just, it was entertaining for me. Like, I think there's a part where it's entertaining, but then there's a part where it's like, this is definitely not manageable. Like I have a full life. There's no, like, I can't totally. be like following every hour, this stock price and what it's doing. And should I be buying in or selling out at this moment in time? It's like, Oh my gosh, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's really not possible for most people to do that type of life. Absolutely not. Which is why most day traders actually just day trade like that is their yeah. job. Um, well, this has been so incredibly helpful, I think, not only for me as I like am reassessing my financials going into motherhood and parenting, um, but I'm sure for the listeners. And we haven't talked about food whatsoever, but to close, I do bring it back to food yes. and ask what would be the three ways to your heart through food? Okay. I Okay. My green smoothie every morning, that number one, like I am one of those people can eat the same food every day. So I yeah. would do like a, a green protein smoothie in the morning. Um, I would do kale salad with steak any day. Like if I could eat steak every mm -hmm. day, I would like steak. And then what would be the last one? Food, probably bananas. I just love bananas. I love bananas. <laughs> well, also, it's so funny because I actually was talking about this with my husband. He eats a banana every morning before he works out. Yeah. And I was like, uh -huh. it's so easy for me to say bananas are my favorite food, but I don't know if it's because I love the banana, but more like the versatility, like a banana with peanut butter or so banana easy. bread or banana yeah. and oatmeal. It, uh -huh. It's just, and it's wrapped, like it's perfect. Um, I know. Well, thank you so really much for being on here. For every, oh, like pleasure. this. 
Sorry, what were you saying? Were you on bananas? My pleasure. No, I, w- I could talk about bananas all day. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for being on here. This was so, so helpful. For people who are listening who want to learn more, follow you, potentially take your courses, like where is the best place for them to go that we can have in the show notes? Yeah, I think the best place, come follow me on Instagram. I do a lot. I'm actually working on a lot more video content for IGTV. Um, So Brittany Castro on Instagram. And then I would encourage everybody to check out my six-week online money class. It's such a great course to teach the basics, budgeting, saving, investing, insurance planning, even like mindset around money. It really is nice. It you know, it's kind of like easy. I made it like simple. There's three webinars per week. It's six weeks. There's bonus expert videos. It's really a great class. So I'd encourage people just follow me on Instagram and enroll in that class. Perfect. All of that will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you all have a great weekend. I hope you guys found that episode as informative and helpful as I did. I have a few things I want to chat about in today's ending. Um, A lot are ones that I've talked about on my Instagram, but seem to be, well, not a lot, but one of them seems to be something a lot of us are feeling. And that's this like weird emotion that I never would have imagined I'd feel as we like start to re-enter the post-pandemic world. And I do want to say that I think we have a way to go. We've not reached herd immunity yet. And I don't think that the world is just all of a sudden open again. However, I do think that we're taking steps in that direction, clearly with the vaccination. And if you live in New York, you know this past weekend was gorgeous. And all of a sudden it was like, the pandemic's over. Like the city was back. It felt like I'm not saying the pandemic is over. Um, but it's definitely starting to feel more imminent that we will return to what we once called our normal lives. And even my friends who work in corporate jobs are, you know, starting to talk about when they're returning to the office, whether it's April or May or June. So it is in our near future. And for so long, I've been waiting for this moment And I've been like, I can't wait to hug people. I can't wait to see people. I can't wait to be indoors and not be stressed. I can't wait to not live in fear. And I'm still excited about all that. But I'm also experiencing these weird emotions I never would have imagined, which is anxiety over reentering. And I'm really trying to figure out the correct verbiage for this. And I'm working through these emotions real time and with my therapist. So this is kind of where I'm at mentally right now. But I think it's A, I'm not good with change. And I felt the same way when we entered this pandemic. Obviously, none of us had any idea that it would be this long. It was like in the beginning, we thought it was going to be two weeks. We were so naive. Um, But the world is basically being flipped on its head again, 180. And even though it's, okay, returning to a world we once potentially knew, it's still very much a change from what we've been experiencing for the past year. And I don't do well with change, even if it's good change. And there's also this stress of like, do I have to start making plans again? And then the realization of, oh my God, did I like this hermit lifestyle that I never thought I would like? I'm someone that has always 
had my calendar fully booked, honestly, as a coping mechanism for my anxiety, because not a coping mechanism, but almost something to like mask it, because the more time I have alone or bored or doing nothing, the more my mind wanders. And I always try to fill it up with everything, um, which I don't think is healthy, but that's also my reality. And so there's all of a sudden this like, oh my God, we have to, I have to make plans and I don't even remember how to put on real clothes or how to, what real clothes even look like on me. And that layers in a ton of emotions I'm having right now regarding being pregnant and my pregnancy body and all that, but that's a whole different conversation. And then there's also what I think is the thing I'm struggling with the most and what I'm talking about with my therapist is I feel as if this past year, or I don't feel, it has been, this past year has been a massive year of loss. If you think about it, we have lost our normalcy, we have lost our social interaction, we have lost face-to-face just interaction with strangers, we have lost time with our loved ones, and we have lost actual people. And I don't think that as a country or a world, we have actually grieved this loss yet. And maybe that's what I'm struggling with is this instantaneous bounce where all of a sudden we're supposed to act like none of this happened and the world is just back to normal. And I don't know what that grief period looks like, but I do kind of feel like there should be something because I don't know how we jump from what we've experienced to all of a sudden trying to go back to what we had. And A lot of you seem to be feeling the same way. I've gotten so many DMs and a lot of comments on my posts when I talked about this of being like, I've been struggling with these emotions and I don't know how to verbalize them. I don't even know what to call them. And I feel the exact same way. I'm struggling with putting them into terms and coming to terms with these emotions because it's something I never thought I'd experience. But it's just interesting and I'm just keeping an eye on it and just being aware. And I also think for me, There's so much tied into my personal life that's also kind of reflecting this timeline or not reflecting this timeline, but correlated, corresponding, because they're not correlated, corresponding with this timeline of having the baby and also dealing with our apartment. And it just feels like there are a lot of all of a sudden like deadlines and that all this stuff has to get done even before we return to the real world. And I also am having my own selfish issues with like, it's about to be the comeback summer of the century and we're going to have a newborn. And I said this to my therapist and I was like, I feel so guilty saying this, but I'm a selfish person. It turns out I'm learning that about myself over the past few years. I don't think I'm a I don't think it's a negative thing. I don't think I take it to that extent, but I do, I put myself first in a lot of situations and I think it helps me, but I also think that it's going to be tested a lot with a baby and part of me is like, what the fuck? I'm going to miss out on all this fun. And I obviously know, or I mean, I pray, I I would assume we're going to be in love with this baby and it's all going to be worth it. And it's going to be like, who cares? But that's still unknown right now. Like, obviously, I love this thing that's growing inside of me. But like these feelings I have of just, it's almost like I'm mourning an end of a life of mine with the birth of a new life of his, but also ours. 
It's all so odd and it's really hard to verbalize and I try to be so careful with my words because it is a touchy subject for so many people and I don't want to be misunderstood or misconstrued, but that's kind of where I'm at. And along with that, I'm also experiencing this phase of pregnancy where I'm like, we are officially within two months of the delivery date and some days I'm like, oh my God, we are delivering tomorrow. Like it literally feels like he's coming tomorrow and we have so much to do and we're never going to get it done, blah, blah, blah. And then after I finish this panic, I will turn to Joe and be like, oh my God, I still have to be pregnant for two more months. How, 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 how will I survive two more months of this and continue to grow? And it's so twofold of like, it feels like tomorrow and feels like eternity all in one. And I don't understand how it's possible that one date can feel so, so incredibly differently. Another thing baby related that I talked about on my Instagram stories that is so interesting to me is that this concept, and I just learned the term for this in Rachel Ricketts' book, Do Better, which I'm working through right now and I highly recommend thus far, is heteronormativity. And that's basically the assumption or like the standard status quo that heterosexuality is the norm. And it's just like the assumption that everyone is heterosexual. And I've been trying to verbalize why this is like making me uncomfortable when this happens to me. And this term is the exact reason of why. And I think it's a whole other conversation of like, why do people sexualize our babies and like children? But that's a different topic for another day. I think that's going to be something that's like what I'm an actual mother. But I've noticed that a lot of people will be like, oh my God, we're having a boy. Like, he's going to have a girlfriend if someone else is having a girl or like, oh, he's going to have a best friend if someone's having a boy. And I'm like, well, why is no one saying he's going to have a boyfriend about that boy? Like, why is it only he'll have a girlfriend or like, oh, it'll just be a best friend. And it's this concept of heteronormativity of like, Joe and I were talking about it. And and I'm like, why why does everyone just assume our child's going to be straight? Like he very well might not be. And that's fine. And I mean, we could go even deeper of like, you know, the gender reveal and all this. Like we know his sex, he's being, he's going to be born. His sex is a boy. He's going to have a penis. But like, I don't know what gender he's going to eventually identify as. Like there's just so much I think that's put now I'm noticing as a quote unquote norm on new children And in today's world, we're realizing that it's not always the case. And Joe and I have just been having interesting conversations about this. And like the perfect example is my friend brought over a a bunch of clothes for him. And it's the cutest stuff ever. And there's this Adidas onesie. And it is fucking adorable. And Joe's like, oh, my God, can you imagine how cute he's going to be in this? Like the ladies are going to love him. And then he caught himself. And he's like, or the boys. Like, And I'm so proud of Joe for even like paying attention to that and catching himself and correcting himself. But it is just really interesting to me. And, you know, people get into like, I've gotten a lot of DMs of like, don't even get me started about the gender norms, like the gifts I was given, depending on what sex my baby was. And I definitely sway towards the like, quote unquote, boy items. Like even if we were having a girl, not one thing I would be buying would be pink. I hate pink. Our daughter will never be in pink if we eventually have a daughter. Um, 
so like all of the clothing and toys and like not toys, but like stuffed animals and blankets and sheets are all like gray, white and baby blue and navy and like a little bit of green because those are colors I enjoy and that's what I wear and that's what I like. And like I'm also filling the baby with baby blue items because I'm praying he has Joe's blue eyes and I just think it would look incredible because what's better than blue eyes and baby blue clothing. But the, the, it's just really interesting to me of like immediately if you're having a boy, people are talking about like, oh, what sports is he going to play? All this stuff. And that resonates with me because I want our child to play a lot of sports. But I also realized that if we were having a daughter, I don't know if those questions would be asked and that would piss me off. So I think for me, it's going to be way more interesting gender norms wise when if we eventually have a daughter, because I already resonate so much with the gender norms of the boy child personally um and I think it's going to be very eye-opening if we ever have a girl of like the gender norms that are put on this unborn daughter and how much I don't resonate with those and I know it's going to piss me off and frustrate me so that's a story for another day in the future because who knows if we will even have a daughter but stay tuned for that one um Thanks for listening to my tangents. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. And that is all for now. You guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. It really means the world to me. It means more to me than you could ever know. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please head over to wherever you consume your podcast and rate and or review the show. It not only helps the show's growth, but it really makes my day when I go through and read all of the reviews. If you aren't already, please follow along over on Instagram at Freckled Foodie for my way too active channel and at FF and friends pod for more information on the podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to give you the next episode.